Welcome back to Real Talk Unleashed, the Real Ass Veterinary Podcast for Real Ass Veterinary Professionals. My name is Caitlin Sharapova. And I'm Dr. Tasha Stark. And I'm Michelle Pevahouse. And today we have two very exciting guests with us. We have Cassandra Walls and Kelsey Creelman from Not One More Vet. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having us. Cassandra is earning her master's social work degree with a focus in organizational leadership, and at the same time, she is earning her veterinary social work certificate at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. She is currently serving as the MSW VSW intern for Not One More Vet, specifically working within the Clear Blueprint program, which was just officially launched at VMX 2023. When not interning or working her paying gig as a crisis worker, Cassandra is a mother to two rescue senior chihuahuas who remind her to be patient, to be curious, and to love. She enjoys hiking, yoga, photography, dance, reading books, and writing short stories and poetry. Kelsey Creelman grew up motivated by her love of animals and her desire to help others. After spending over 12 years working in various capacities in veterinary medicine, Kelsey knew she wanted to provide more support to the veterinary community. She obtained her Master of Social Work degree from Virginia Commonwealth University in 2021 with the goal of becoming a veterinary social worker. Kelsey is extremely passionate about bringing adequate mental health care, wellness, and resources to everyone in the veterinary field. In addition to her work at NAMV, Kelsey provides individual therapy at a local mental health private practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She serves on the board of directors for the International Association of Veterinary Social Work and is pursuing her veterinary social work certificate from the University of Tennessee. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We are really excited about this episode. And just to kind of give everybody who's listening a heads up, this is going to be um, kind of a heavy topic. We're going to be discussing, you know, the suicide rate, mental health. So just a heads up, if this is, you know, a little bit too heavy of a topic, um, we'll give you a moment to click away or prepare yourself and, you know, kind of center yourself. So I would love for you guys to share with us the story behind NAMVI and how it got started. Yeah, so NAMVI originated um, in 2014 and NAMVI came out of the extremely tragic loss of Dr. Sophia Yin. So for anybody who's listening who's not familiar, Dr. Sophia Yin was a very well-known and very well-respected veterinarian in our community. She had an extremely wide reach and she died by suicide in um, the end of September of 2014. So after that, literally days after her passing, Dr. Nicole MacArthur created a Facebook group for veterinarians for this reason, so that they had somewhere they can go to share how they have been impacted either by Dr. Yin's passing or by others, because by that point we were aware that this was an issue and to just get support from one another. So it really became an informal um, peer-to-peer support Facebook group. And over the years that has grown tremendously. So we started out on Facebook and we became a 501c3 nonprofit in 2017 and have continued to try to uphold this mission of transforming the mental health in the field. So that was kind of how we originated. We were talking about the suicide rate in veterinary medicine and stories around 
you know, when it first impacted us or when we first remembered, you know, having a personal, when we were personally touched by the suicide rate in veterinary medicine. And that's what I said, losing Dr. Sophia Yin. I followed her because of her work in behavior, because of her work with, with animals that, you know, needed a little bit more understanding. This was kind of, she was kind of the catalyst for change in how we approach patients and their behavior. You know, she was, before Fear Free was a thing, she was a thing, you know? And so I remember following her and watching her kind of advocate for patients and and appropriate handling for patients and things like that. And so when she, uh, when we lost her, it was really super impactful for me. So um, on that note, what impact has NAMV had on the veterinary industry? Another great question. So over the years, like I said, that NAMV has continued to grow, honestly, like exponentially. Um, And through what we have now, we are able to and have provided um, anything from emergency financial assistance for both individuals and veterinary clinics. We also have expanded the peer-to-peer support. So we still have the Facebook groups. Those are still around. We have one for veterinarians and one now for support staff. So we have changed from working or representing primarily veterinarians to working really hard to be more inclusive, not only in the types of people, but also in the professional roles and to really kind of take everyone in because everybody in these roles play such an important part in the field and we wouldn't be doing our job if we were leaving anyone out. And it's hard to truly measure the impact. I will say um, we are working on our annual report right now. So if anybody who's listening or participating is more data-driven and like wants to really see the numbers of where we're putting all of these funds that come in and how we're supporting people, that will be available on our website soon. Um, And that'll give you a little bit more number-wise where we're at. But in addition to the peer-to-peer support through both Facebook, um, another program that we'll probably talk about a little later, which is Lifeboat, our anonymous peer-to-peer support. We provide education and presentations on mental health and wellness through a very wide collection of speakers that will work with individuals and organizations to come give these talks to veterinary professionals. We also now, as Cassandra and I um, both work with Clear Blueprint, which is our mental wellness and workplace culture certification program that provides more one-on-one support for organizations that are looking to address or evaluate the, the overall culture of the clinic and how that's impacting staff And then we also try to provide as many resources as possible. So we have another thing that we call NAMVI's list. And that is a way for us to provide um, some more resources for people um, local and nationwide and even international at this point. So really our impact has been to increase access and awareness as well as provide a platform for others to share this information and hopefully you know, let even just one more person know that they're not alone in this struggle. That's awesome. I actually, I, I spent some time perusing uh, the NAMVI website in preparation for this podcast. Um, and I didn't see the the clear blueprint. So now that you've said that, I went and I looked it up. And, you know, I think that this is so important for our industry. And I hope that it really takes off. And I would love to see it, like have the same kind of gravity and reach as 
you know, like an AHA accreditation yeah. or something like that. Oh, that would be amazing. Right. That's honestly our, you know, ultimate goal is for this to become, you know, just as commonplace and required for clinics um, as things like AHA and other, you know, more standard certifications. That's awesome. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. And and I would like to hear from both of you about what motivated you to begin working with NAMVI. So what really started me with NAMVI, my uh, seminar professor at the time was trying to help me find something because I live in a very rural area away from Knoxville. And um, she said, look, this place is remote. It also has a veterinary focus and it seemed perfect. And so I just, I went in, I interviewed and I just immediately fell in love with the work, um, the organization, and the people. They really, they embody what they preach. I can't say enough good things about NAMBI, and it's just been a, an honor to be a part of that and to be there for the development and growth of Clear Blueprint. Thank you, Cassandra. And honestly, I will, I just want to like take a moment and mention how amazing Cassandra has been as one of our interns. She's been amazing to work with. So my path to NAMBI was a little bit different than Cassandra's. I have been working in veterinary medicine. I was in the field for about 13 years, maybe a little, little shy of 13 years. And through those 13 years, I've worked in multiple different areas. I've worked very rural medicine. I've worked 24 hour ER and critical care. I've worked in internal medicine and through that, I not only witnessed, but experienced a lot of my own trauma and pain and struggle that comes from this field. And that was, you know, when I knew that the way things were just didn't sit right with me. And I knew that more needed to be done. And especially when I would say even like my first 10 years, I didn't know really much about Nambi beyond the Facebook group. And when it originally was created, I wasn't a veterinarian. So I was like, well, I honestly kind of counted Nambi out and didn't really pay much attention to everything else that was going on with them. So I took different paths. I um, continued working in the field, not really sure what I wanted to do, even though I had a bachelor's in psychology. I never felt like I was ready to make that transition because as tough as the work was, there was just also something about it that I couldn't leave, right? And um, one day I was asked if I had heard of veterinary social work from a criticalist that I was working with. And I was like, nope, never heard of it. So I researched it. And quite literally that night, I was prepping my application to grad school because reading about it, it was such a perfect fit. I was like, this is what I have been looking for literally since I've entered the field. And so through my work with veterinary social work and joining the International Association of Veterinary Social Work, I was connected with an employee um, who worked for NAMVI. She was on, she's on the board with me as well. And when Clear was preparing to launch and they did a little presentation at a conference at a veterinary social work conference online. And I messaged her immediately because I was like, this could be like it. This could be so groundbreaking for the field. And provide the support and the tools that every, that we need like desperately. So I texted her and she was like, well, I'm glad you're so excited because we are going to be hiring for that position. And so as soon as I saw it pop up um, on LinkedIn and indeed I applied and that was in November and 
2022. So I just started with them in December of 2022 and have officially stepped away from my clinical role in veterinary medicine, at least for right now. Um, but really it was just being in the trenches and seeing the struggle. I have, you know, I've feared for my friends and my coworkers' well-being more times than I care to count. And I have been at the receiving end as of my colleagues with some really tough stuff. And I just knew we needed to do more. And so that was when I was able to, you know, the stars aligned essentially, and I was able to join NAMVI and be a part of that. That's amazing. It sounds like the universe sent you where you needed to be. Absolutely. It was, it could not have worked out any better than it did. (laughs) I would love to ask you guys, um, you know, with the state of the industry, what is your advice to veterinary professionals who are fed up with the way that this industry is going? I always encourage people to remember that one person can make a difference. And when we were at the Vet Med Expo, we saw that we had more than a couple people come up and tell me, I don't have an organization, but I got together with other veterinary professionals in my community from other practices. And when we heard someone was having a hard time, we'd take them out to lunch. We'd offer an ear, we'd offer time, resources, and compassion. And just one person can make that difference. So don't ever feel like you can't make a difference or that what you could possibly give to another person who's suffering and struggling isn't enough. It is. You can be the one. You can be the difference. We talk a lot about compassion fatigue and burnout. Like as a veterinarian, you hear those terms. You go to CE, they're doing lectures on compassion fatigue and burnout. Is there a difference between those two? And if so, what what is the difference? So burnout uh, is really... It's the work. It's the impact of long-term work and dissatisfaction within your workplace and your job. Uh, Compassion fatigue is more the exhaustion we have of not filling our cup, but continually being there for other people and continually giving to coworkers, to family, to friends, to clients. So just um, to piggyback off of that answer, I'm noticing because I I mentor veterinary students, I mentor new graduates, I'm noticing that our new veterinarians are burning out quicker. And so I guess I wonder, my question is, do you think that they're burning out quicker or are we doing a better job at teaching them about the signs of burnout and they're recognizing it faster? I'm just noticing doctors are getting out of the profession or making a pivot very quickly compared to, you know, we were from the mindset of you don't quit your first job after, you know, before a year, that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I guess I, I'm wondering, are we doing a better job of teaching our new veterinarians to recognize burnout or is it just, they're really burning out faster? Mm, I think that's such a great question. So, and I think the answer's, you know, twofold in a sense. So I do think we are to some extent doing a better job of educating vet students and vet tech students to recognize things like burnout and compassion fatigue. So we are, you know, in essence, sometimes catching it a little bit quicker. And I think the other piece too is we don't necessarily have all of the data to decide, 
you know, definitively if we are truly burning out at a faster rate. Um, but I think especially just looking at everything that's happened in the world in the last few years, it also would make sense if people are burning out quicker, because if you are already feeling stretched or taxed from things outside of work, and now you are entering this extremely demanding profession, it's also not uncommon or unexpected to feel the effects of this profession factor. So I do think it could be a little bit of both. And I also think that we're just talking about it more. So I don't know necessarily that everybody was burning out later in the earlier years or in, you know, years past, but I don't know that we were talking about it like we do. So I think a lot more people were in essence suffering in silence and we wouldn't know until something catastrophic happened. Yeah, I think that that uh, that's a very good point. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, the orange car phenomenon. Like if you buy an orange car, then you notice all these other people in an orange car. And so, you know, um, I do think that, you know, the the days that Dr. Stark and I started in the industry, that was a whole lot of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You don't have to go pee. You don't have to eat. You know, you can see that patient. You We don't turn anything away. We stay until all the notes are done, you know, and, and that mentality is shifting and changing. And I think that it's a wonderful thing that that's happening, um, you know, but I think that, you know, the other side of that is that, uh, you know, Dr. Stark and I had this conversation prior to COVID, uh, right when it when we had first started having our our cases here in Virginia back in 2020. I said, "This is going to be COVID is going to be the straw that breaks vet meds back because you've got you know this industry that is it's a physically demanding job. It's a, a you know it is a it's, you know, when it comes to medicine, you're, you're dealing with, with complex cases. Uh, it's an emotionally taxing job and you have all these caring, empathetic people who are doing this work. And then you throw a deadly pandemic on top of it and the bad client behavior and people that don't want to be separated from their pets for, for curbside and being pissed off because they can't get fluffy in because now all of a sudden it's an emergency that they need this rabies vaccine that, you know, has been overdue for two months or whatever the case may be. Um, and we started to see a lot of people shifting out of clinical medicine in order to kind of gain some sense of control. And I just want to tack on to current events also being exhaustive. You're in this high demand profession you're exhausted, the global pandemic, and now we see an attack on personhood as a as women identified people, as queer trans identified people, as people of color. You're fighting for your life outside of work and then you're fighting for it inside work. It's definitely exhausting. And that could probably be a factor to why we're seeing so much more so much sooner. I would love to hear from both of you around some of the resources that you have available for people who are struggling with things like hopelessness, depression, suicidal thoughts, or ideation. Um, you know, where are some specific places that they can go or specific resources that you have available uh, when they're dealing with those sorts of things? So we have a wide variety. I know I've kind of already touched a little bit on them earlier, but when it comes to support, um, one of the 
important ones that I think outside of our Facebook forums, which like I said, are still in operation is our newer Lifeboat program. So Lifeboat is anonymous peer support and our peer support individuals are also trained and supported by mental health professionals. And they are fellow peers in the field. And Lifeboat is for anyone in the field. It is not just for veterinarians, but we do match up veterinarians with peer support veterinarians and then support staff with peers. And um, this can be a one-time thing where maybe you talk to this person once, or it can be a little bit more of an ongoing asynchronous like conversation where you're messaging back and forth over a period of time because you need a little bit longer length of that support. So we have that available. Um, I had also previously mentioned um, Nomvi's list, which is our list of resources that is still being updated and um, we're adding to it all the time, really. But it is available on our website and they, we are collecting a really wide range of resources for that, not just mental health resources, um, but primarily since that is our purpose, but anything else that may be supportive of people going through that. So the last couple really um, that I think are important to keep in mind that we have here at NAMVI. Um, outside of these things, we are also partnered with the Veterinary Mental Health Initiative to provide uh, peer supports via Zoom. There is um, more information for them on the VMHI, the Veterinary Mental Health Initiative website, where you can register for those groups. And there are support groups currently for veterinarians and for veterinary technicians. And those are conducted regularly over Zoom for certain number of weeks. I can't remember how many weeks the support groups run right now. Um, and then we also do keep a list of crisis numbers by country on our website. So even if you are outside of the U.S., we have lists for crisis numbers, as well as a section specific to LGBTQIA plus um, crisis resources. And I think that is kind of the overarching programs. The other things that um, we do offer, though, well, it's not necessarily just mental health related are our support grants. So we do offer small financial support grants for um, veterinary professionals who are maybe having a hard time paying bills this month for veterinary clinics that are maybe having a hard time opening up or staying open after like a natural disaster or something like that, um, which can obviously impact our mental health tremendously if we aren't able to do those things. So we also do offer that as an additional resource. I would love to know, you know, Dr. Stark kind of touched on, you know, burnout and compassion fatigue. And, and so I would love to know what are some um, steps that people can take to mitigate that, you know, in their everyday life, things that you recommend. And then also what are some things that they can recognize? It kind of can be hard to recognize until you're like in the midst of it and you're, you know, like hitting the wall. This comes from, you know, a combination of my clinical experience with being a therapist now, and then also my, my years in the field and like what the patterns I was noticing in myself and other people in the field. So things that I think are really important to mitigating things like burnout and compassion fatigue. Number one, I think something we all struggle with in the field, which is setting boundaries. This one, I feel like we talk about it all the time and it's always mentioned like boundaries, this boundaries, that. Um, and so I'm saying it again, boundaries, because it's important. Um, 
you need to have an identity outside of your work, full stop. You cannot just be your job. That is not sustainable. And I really just want to like drive that home to people that we need to exist outside of our um, we are human beings, not human doings. So we need to be able to do more than just. And as Cassandra's kind of mentioned, trying out some other coping skills, kind of building up your toolbox. You don't necessarily need um, therapy or a therapist to try out some new coping skills. However, they can be helpful um, to kind of help guide you or provide you with additional ones. But that might look like the journaling and writing. It might look like different sorts of mindfulness or grounding techniques, emotional regulation techniques. All of these things, um, to a certain extent, can also be self-taught. So you can hop on Google, YouTube, and kind of try some of these on and see what works. Um, and then the other really big one um, that I want to just highlight for mitigation purposes is learning how to feel your feelings. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I've found both, um, I've seen myself and I've seen it in other people where there are times in the field where feeling our emotions in the moment is not helpful. Like it is not supportive for our patient. It is not supportive for our clients or our staff. But what we tend to do is just like shut it off and then never really go back and turn it back on and emotionally process anything that's happened. Um, so learning how to identify what we're feeling, learning how to express what we're feeling, and then finding ways to kind of nurture ourselves through that is really important. And then um, when it comes to recognizing the signs, one thing that I think, as I've already kind of hinted at, is therapy. And when I say like therapy or talking to somebody, I mean, the earlier you start it, the better. Um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So to see and get mental health support when you're not actively struggling can help provide you with those tools when you hit those tough moments. Um, and then just learning how to take a moment and kind of check in with how you're feeling physically, because we do know that we can see physical manifestations of our mental and emotional health. So learning how to notice things like that, there's a lot more, but I think those are some of the most important kind of first steps that we can do. I think also, you know, kind of also piggyback on that feeling of the feelings is, you know, our industry outside of the mental health and, uh, struggles and the suicide rates that affect our profession we see a lot of substance abuse in our industry. And I think that the substance abuse is as a result of numbing kind of some of those feelings that we deal with, dealing with, uh, you know, either using it as a tool to try to decompress from work. And then it, you know, that just kind of snowballs into uh, an addiction and substance abuse. Um, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is that this industry Sometimes it attracts people because of the access to controlled substances, but sometimes because of the challenges that we deal with on a daily basis, it can lead somebody who's never struggled with that before to uh, struggle with substance abuse. Absolutely. If you're wondering, how do you even start that? If therapy feels like too big of a jump, I really encourage you to look up the feelings wheel. 
it shows you different words. So under anger, you'd have frustrated, aggravated. When we have a broader vocabulary and we start using those words to identify what we feel and we change our language because language matters, we can really start to work on that ourselves and empower ourselves. So also to talk about boundaries, I mean, one of the things that I was talking to a veterinary professional about recently is how we are taught to not have boundaries, even in vet school. Um, you're not allowed to set a boundary and say, hey, I'm so physically exhausted. I'm not safe to be handling patients right now. So unfortunately, you know, we are taught to not have boundaries, even from being a veterinary student. And so, you know, with, with, with boundaries, what's the saying? If you don't set boundaries for people, they'll set them for you. So I can't stress boundaries enough. Like I know we say it every day, like we're like boundaries, 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 but we really have to be cognizant of what that looks like and enforce it not only with our clients, but with our families and with our bosses. Yes. And I just want to kind of provide my language that I use around some of what is being described here. And that um, is something that I like to call in veterinary medicine, a culture of martyrdom. Like we are expected to give all, give every last ounce of everything we have or else we aren't doing enough. We don't care enough. And it's simply not sustainable and not true. If we want to be able to provide high quality patient care and be able to work with clients and have the mental space for clients that are maybe having a tough time. Um, we need to take care of ourselves. And so, yes, I just want to, I just wanted to pop in really quick on that and just provide some of the language that I use because like Cassandra mentioned that language is important. And sometimes if we can um, label things a little bit better, instead of it kind of feeling like this, like amorphous feeling or unspoken thing in the field that we just do all of this, we're taught this from the very beginning to kind of identify it. Like this is a culture of martyrdom. That is the system and the culture that we are working in. It can give us a place to put our focus and a place to kind of flush out what does that look like and how can we change What do you all think it'll take to change the industry to help reduce the suicide rate? Being able to change the suicide rate is going to require what, what we've already just kind of been touching on, which is an overall cultural shift in how we work and exist within this industry. And how we exactly do that, I think, is something we're still learning. Um, but one of them being stuff like we're doing right now, like having co continued conversations about it beyond just, you know, kind of spitting out the data or just being like, oh yeah, this is a problem. Um, but to really dig in and have some conversations to hear other people's stories, to relate and to connect, I think is one of the first and most important steps. Um, and then at the end of the day, I am a strong believer in, change needing to come from within. So it needs to not only come with from within us as individuals and prioritizing our own mental health and kind of setting that example for ourselves and for others, but to also um, partake or even demand that similar level of change within your clinic, within your network or organization, if you're part of a larger network of clinics. It really requires the people that are in the trenches to be engaged, which I know is really hard when we're already so exhausted, 
but at the end of the day, like our well-being and the well-being of everybody else in this field, you know, is something that we can all, as Cassandra has mentioned before, play a part in helping. So continuing to talk about it, to kind of harness some of what we have going here, some of this frustration, some of this passion to learn how to advocate for ourselves, how to advocate for others, um, to get this change rolling. And then for anybody who maybe in a leadership role and maybe they're listening to this podcast um, to be willing to kind of pump the brakes and check in with the team, see what their ideas are. That's one thing that we're really big on with Clear Blueprint is most of the time people in the field or people in their own organization already have ideas and solutions. We just need to listen to them and we need to give them a platform to be able to say that and to have a conversation around it. Um, and then, of course, overall, just improving our access to mental health care. I know most clinics don't always have the most stellar uh, employee insurance programs, especially with mental health care. So making that more affordable and more easily accessible, I think, are all some really big pieces to helping get that cultural shift rolled. I love that. And, uh, you know, I just want to say I've really enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed talking to both of you guys. I would love to hear from you about where you see our industry in the next five years and what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. Um, I uh, don't know that I would preface this as me being a good fortune teller by any means, but I am excited for what things may look like in the next five years. I am seeing a lot of passion and restlessness and kind of this desire industry-wide and this recognition that things need to change. And so I'm hoping that in five years, we do see some of these things unfolding. We see better access to mental health care, both within and outside of the profession. I'm hoping that we can see this community really coming together and that we see these changes in the field with um, you know, lower rates of burnout and compassion fatigue, or at least an increased awareness and acceptance over getting those things, um, the attention and help that they need sooner rather than later. And seeing, you know, people in the community feeling comfortable and having a safe place to have a platform to continue speaking on these things and, um, you know, contributing to this shift. You know, I don't know that this shift will be able to really fully happen in five years. I, but I am hoping that in five years we are on the way with some of these things becoming more commonplace and these conversations um, occurring more regularly and being, you know, being listened to and, and being supported. Yeah, I agree with Kelsey. I, I don't think five years we'll see this radical utopia, but we will see a drastic change. Um, we will see, you know, management listening to the needs of their staff. We'll see a reduction somewhat in suicide if we can build that community, if we can keep uh, challenging the system, changing it, adapting. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I would love to wrap with one final question, um, and that is... What can our listeners, whether they're, you know, veterinary professionals or pet parents do to support the work that you guys are doing um, at NAMVI? Yeah, so there is a lot that you can do. Um, one, of course, would be 
to donate or participate in fundraising events, any um, financial, um, any money that come into us at NomV goes to fund all of these programs that we've been talking about. That is how we're able to do what we're doing. And then also consider if you have the mental capacity to volunteer, to reach out to our volunteer team and see what that might be like. And then um, to interact with us online, you know, engage with our social media, share what we're putting out there to help it reach more people. Um, and then consider things like if you're at a conference or if we're hosting a webinar, Cassandra was just in a wonderful webinar last night, um, come check it out. Hop online to our webinars. Come see us at conference booths. We're typically there somewhere. And then at the end of the day, just to uh, be kind to yourself and be kind to other people to help us kind of uphold this mission of transforming mental health in the field and to prioritize your own mental health and encouraging others to do the same is another great way to um, you know, support us outside of financial or time donations, essentially. I may be getting ahead of us, but I would love to have you ladies back at some point to talk about maybe like in a year, like, well, where are we now? <laughs> What's gotten better? Um, if you would be willing to join us. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would love to come back and and see where things are at and see how things are changing and continue this conversation because like we said that's one of the I think the important things that we need to be doing is to not stop exploring this and talking about it right we spend a lot of time just the three of us pulling together the podcast and just bouncing ideas off of each other of how to make it better and I think at the end of the day the part that keeps us going when we're tired and when we're trying to juggle other things is hearing people come up to us and say you helped me when I was in a dark place and so even if we can't save the whole profession, I feel like just the, the thought that we're able to, to help one person is, is reason for us to keep going. I also want to say one thing. I loved uh, both of your answers when it came to where you see the industry in the next five years, because it was an answer full of hope and looking towards the positivity and the changes, the positive changes that are happening in the industry. I feel like I know myself personally, I can be a little bit cynical. And, uh, you know, I, when I look at the future of the veterinary industry, I see all these private equity firms and corporations popping up and the changes that they're making in hospitals. And I, and I feel like in, in a lot of cases, it's making the day-to-day -day life of veterinary professionals harder and worse. And so I just love hearing a different perspective um, because sometimes that's what you need. You know, you need, you need to hear a different perspective so that you can kind of turn and say, you know what, I can focus on this. I can focus on the work that's being done by the veterinary disruptors, the people that are coming in and standing up and saying, we're not going to tolerate this behavior and we're not going to take this and you're going to have to uh, respect my boundaries and you're going to have to, you know, give these concessions if you want me to be a part of your workforce. And so it just is, it was uh, really refreshing to hear and I appreciate it. I needed that perspective too, for sure, because I definitely, you know, just kind of talking to veterinarians, it's very easy to be, um, just not have any hope for the profession. But I, I, I agree with Michelle in that we need that, that positive, um, just kind of spin on it it's easy to kind of get in that dark place of that hopeless place in this profession. So having that was amazing. Well, I'm so glad. And 
um, that we were kind of able to offer that perspective a little bit. And I know we're coming short on time, but I also just wanted to note, like, this is where it's important. Um, in some therapies, we have this concept of dialectics, and that is learning how to recognize that both of these things can be true and that it's okay to recognize both sides of things. And that can help us not get stuck in one or the other in like toxic positivity or in like this constant doom and gloom that it, you know, we can recognize some of these concerns and struggles that we're seeing and some of the other things that are, you know, making us worried for the profession and also take a moment to appreciate the work that is being. Yep. Yes. And I just signed, I just signed up to be a recurring monthly donor to not one more vet. And I encourage all of our listeners who are listening to this episode, if you have the means to do so, please do so. Thank you all so much. And thank you, Michelle, for doing that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we are here for everybody in this field. And we were just, I know I was uh, extremely honored and happy to be a part of this. 